Hey, Oasis Church Chicago, Pastor JP here. Hey, we're so glad that you're joining with us on our podcast today. I pray today that this message stirs your faith, that it builds you up, that it draws you closer to the Father's heart, and ultimately that you just feel the embrace of heaven. We would love to stay connected with you and you to stay connected with us. So please feel free to check us out on our website, oasischurchchicago.com, or download our app, Oasis Church Chicago. Also, you can be sure to join with us on our live stream on our YouTube page every Wednesday night and Sunday morning. Now here's today's message. Amen. God does love me, and he wants to speak to me. Um, Yeah, sorry, one thing. Children, you are dismissed. Uh, Apologies from Pastor JP. That is one thing you missed. I think they are. I think they they just left. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. You guys doing well this morning? I'm excited to be here with you. If you have your Bible, um, we're gonna be in John chapter three this morning. Um, but I, before we start, I, um, I just wanna, I wanna start with a, a time of prophetic word. Um, I've, been, I've been meditating on this passage of scripture, Isaiah 55, one through three, and it says this, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I've been meditating in this Advent season on this invitation from the Lord Jesus himself to come. And as I've been preparing this week, there was a specific um, I don't want to say like an actual individual, but a, a type, you know, a person that the Lord really laid on my heart. And there was, and, and this person doesn't feel like they have anything to come with. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to give the encouragement because I, I felt so strongly this morning that if you're here and you show up and it's like, oh, it's Christmas, like we're supposed to be all, oh my gosh. Peyton Joseph, I love you guys. I didn't know idea you were gonna be here. Oh my gosh. Um, they're here from outside the country. Um, right, but if you're here this morning and, and maybe you're visiting or, and you feel like you hear that invitation to come but you don't have anything to give as you come, I really felt this, this, just this strong impression from the Lord that what you don't have is enough. Your I don't have anything is more than enough to come. And so that's you. I just wanna bless you this morning. And I really feel like as you come with your nothing, the, the promise of God is that he will give you more than enough. He will give you an abundance to satisfy your soul. So that's you. Just slip your hand up real fast. I just wanna bless you really quick. It may be nobody and that's totally okay. Yeah. Lord, we just bless these individuals. 
I pray that in this season of Advent, in this season of anticipation of your coming, that their coming to you would be met with an abundance, with more than they could ever ask, hope, think, or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. And then secondly, I have another one. Um, I felt like there was somebody that had recently just come back to the Lord. And um, I just, I, I felt like a really strong encouragement in my, in my heart um, that, that he wants to just speak very specifically to your, uh, to your future steps. And the word of the Lord that I felt was, um, I am not in a hurry. I am not in a hurry with you. And um, what, what, as I prayed into that, right, this is, what I, this is what I felt the Lord say, if you're willing to go at my pace, you will have my grace. And the picture that I had was the Lord um, holding out food to a bird. And what he said to me is that the, the food that I give is to sustain the journey ahead. But, right, the, the idea being that the Lord gives food and he gives just enough to sustain where you're going. And it's that trust. And so if that's you this morning, I just wanna, I just wanna bless that. It may be no, right? You don't, you don't have to raise your hand and say that's me to make me feel better. I just, if that's somebody in this room, I just wanna bless and I really feel like God is on that word for you. Yeah, Lord, we just bless these individuals and we say, be it unto them according to your word in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys excited to be here this morning? All right. Um, for those of you that were not here last week, we started our Advent series in Pastor JP Open. If you didn't get to, to be there last week, I just, I, I so strongly encourage you, um, go, just go take a listen to it. I, I was so stirred in my spirit about hope and the responsibility that we have to build hope in our lives. Um, and so, yeah, go, go listen to that. I, this week, though, we are transitioning into lighting the candle of love. And um, this morning, the title of the talk that I'm gonna give is The Father's Love Made Manifest. And uh, for some of us, right, for some of us, what I'm gonna say this morning is nothing new, right? Like, like this is one of, this is a very core foundational, like, following Jesus thing. And, and my hope this morning is to just say old things in a fresh way and to encourage us in the Lord that we have a father that loves us um, to review some of the most basic and beautiful realities of walking with God, being loved by God. Um, and at the start, I just wanna encourage all of us that, right, if you're, if you're the type of person that hears like, oh gosh, we're talking about God's love, and you're like, oh, I'm, like I'm kinda like cringy or like turned off towards the idea of like love or a loving father, I just wanna encourage us this morning, would we open our hearts to hear this word again? 
what we're going to find is that there's a responsibility for each and every one of us that hear his word to respond. And so, right, um, sorry, this is a setup. You're going to hear God's word this morning. And there's a responsibility that comes, a grave responsibility when you sit under the word of God that you must respond. And, you know, I'm really passionate about the love of God. Just like, for those of you that know my story, this is one of the most, um, this, this really hits home for me, right? I, throughout the entire week as I was preparing for this and to, to speak with us, um, I was just brought back to specific moments throughout my time, my journey with God, where the Lord loved me and fathered me and encouraged me and led me. And there was this specific moment, I remember, um, for those of you that don't know, I, was, I, I went to Catholic high school and then, long story short, got kicked out of that Catholic high school and, you, you know, like, but, but there, was a, there was a specific prayer garden in that high school. And it was this really special place where, right, like it was, it was just like pebbled rocks and there was a statue of Mary there and just benches that would, that would sit around. And I remember when I first began to encounter the Lord, I would show up an hour before school started and I would weep in the presence of God because I realized that he loved me. And I had, this, I had this clip of, of uh, David Crowder's How He Loves, this song that was just like speaking so deeply to my heart. And I remember just being like so young, so like just wrecked with the, with, the, with the reality that God, after everything I had done, after all my life, after all the ways that I had rebelled, he chose me. And I really feel like that this is, right, this is not something that we graduate from. If you're walking with Jesus today and that fresh fire is not inside of you, you should not feel condemnation. I just wanna say that at the beginning. But I do want to say that it is God's heart that we live in that love. And when I look across our context, mainly progressive cities Throughout the United States, I see a general discontentment in our society. We are the most liberated, educated, and advancing culture that has ever existed on planet Earth, and we are miserable. And we laugh, but it's true. We have constructed systems of meaning and life that don't even require God. And there is a growing discontentment that I see in young professionals, families alike, that we've been lied to. That although we are educated and liberated and advancing quickly, our souls are hungry, we are thirsty, crying out for more, whether in education or academia, whether in our political or judicial systems, whether in the marketplace in corporate America. People, the souls of people that make up our society are hungry for God, whether they know it or not. Right, like if you, if you look at statistics, like, like this is not just Nick's opinion. For those of you that don't know, my name is Nick. 
not the best intro. <laughs> right? But like, right, like we live in a society that like touts our inclusivity, like we're like holier than thou, yet we're the most lonely people that have ever existed on the planet. We have given unprecedented amount of time to mental health, to self-love, to whatever else you wanna call it, and we are the most depressed, anxious-filled people that have ever walked the earth. And right, I know I'm speaking in generalities, so like this isn't a true, like across the board, but I'm just saying, right, like when you walk out of your house and you go to the coffee shop, I just see people, they're just so angry bitter, jaded, frustrated with the, the way that life turned out, frustrated that the cards that they were dealt. And, 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 I, and I want us, I wanna position us this morning to hear once again this word of the Father's love for us because what I've found is that it's not just out there, it's also in here. Right, how many of you know? And, and, and I'll just speak from my own, my own testimony, my own story, right? You start to make some progress in God. It's like he rips you out of darkness, right? Sets you on solid ground. And then you start to make some progress and then you're like, oh my gosh, I have to maintain this progress. I start to think that if I don't maintain this progress and keep going with, what, with where God's taking me, and what am I doing in that moment? I'm performing. I have to, I ha- I have to maintain what God started. I'm not walking in grace. And next thing I know, I'm all in my head and I don't know the love of God and I'm trying to do it all on my own. All right, how about, how about for like us radical people, right? You know, I'll go anywhere or I'll do anything. You know what I'm talking about? And then, and then like we spend some time and realize that like my radicality, is that a word, radicality? Yeah? I just created a word. Right? Our radicality is actually based. <laughs> our radicality is actually based on trying to win the approval of the one that we want to be radical for. And we just come back to this place, like, like very simple, very silly. Who am I? Like, God loves me. God loves me whether I go and, 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 and become the most, the most successful businessman in the entire world and build schools all across the earth that, that aid to like the flourishing and salvation of millions of souls. God loves me. And you know what? If I go and run my life off a cliff, he loves me there too. And so I just want to position us this morning to hear this word again. I want us to see fresh eyes. And so John 3, my argument today, this morning, is that you and I were made to be loved by a good father and to respond in love to that father. And that this father's love has been made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ and is now made manifest to the world through you and through me. And this is how the text will read this morning, if you're there, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming and revealing your perfect father. We ask right now that in these brief moments, you would help us again to see him and to receive him. We ask this in your name, amen. Amen. Um, how many of you have heard this verse before? Just please, please participate in that one. Okay. So like, right, um, this, is a, this, is, this is a very popular Bible verse. And, um, you know, you walk around on the street and, you know, you have, you have people that have never stepped in foot in a, in a church and they probably know this one, Right. Um, I remember, I remember watching Tim Tebow. How many college football fans remember Tim Tebow's national championship run, where he had that John three sixteen? Oh Lord, we just bless bless. If you have influence, use it. Influence isn't bad. It's an opportunity. It's a platform. Um, not my sermon. <clears throat> Right, and, and, and so I, but, but what, what I wanna do, right, is, is, when, is when you have a verse like that, that we can just kinda take and like plaster on our wall or like plaster on our Instagram or Twitter if you still use those things, like it can, it can be really easy to, to dumb down the message of what's actually being said there, right? And we can miss the richness and the beauty of what is being said in the text. And so I just wanna take a deeper look this morning um, and the first place that we need to start, if we're going to do that, is the context of where John 3.16 lands. And he, th- this text actually comes in the middle of a dialogue, right? How many of you know when, when, when a sentence starts with a conjunction like for or therefore, the author is either building on a statement previously said or he's explaining. He's giving more detail into that. And so what happens is we are in the middle of, um, of, of a conversation that Jesus is having with a religious elite. His name, how many of you guys know it? It's Nicodemus. No? We got to figure out how we got to Nicodemus. To, to John 3.16, and the key is Mr. Nicodemus. And, you know, if you, if you want a nerdy way to refer to John 3, you know, my, my professor in Bible college used to call this story Nick at Night. Okay? So, so the context of John 3.16, we are in the middle of Nick at Night. And what, what's going on here is you have this Pharisee, Nicodemus, who comes under the secrecy of evening to ask genuine questions. And he basically says, what's up with you, man? He basically says, it's clear that you come from God because nobody could do what you're doing if God were not with him. In other words, there was a fragrance about his life that caused those around him that observed him to ask questions about why he was the way that he was. 
And my prayer for us, for this community, is that that would be our testimony. That there would be a fragrance about our families. There'd be a fragrance about our work. There'd be a fragrance about our children and the way that we conduct our homes and our dwelling. That people just go like, what's up with you? But through this encounter with Nicodemus, Jesus says some pretty bizarre things. You ready? Bullet point, cliff note version of Nick at night. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. These are very important topics that Jesus brings up in this conversation, and he's talking about these three ideas. First, he's talking about being born again, salvation. Second, he's talking about intimacy and proximity with God, ascending into the heavenly realms, being near to God. And lastly, he references Numbers 21, which is a story of the people of God being, um, being struck with sickness and disease because of their disobedience. And so he's referencing healing and deliverance. So let's assess the context now. Jesus, in John 3, 16, begins to comment on this conversation, this dialogue that he has with Nicodemus, concerning three basic ideas that any religious Pharisee or Jew in general would be very, very familiar with. What are they? Salvation, intimacy with God, and deliverance. And what does Jesus communicate in this text? That the issues of salvation, intimacy with God, and deliverance is answered by the love of God. If you have questions about being alienated from God, or how to get saved, or how to be released from your bondage, God's immediate response is love. And so what we're gonna do this morning is we're, gonna, we're just gonna tap into three key truths that Jesus talks about here. Um, that, that, and, and just review, cool? Okay, so the first thing we, we, we have to see here is the Father's motivation in love. And, right, so, so the text says that God loves the world, and the, and, the, and the greatest insight into who this God is and why he actually does love is his own nature. So I'm gonna get, this is the part of the sermon where you're gonna be tempted to turn your ears off. Don't do it, okay? Because we're gonna, we're gonna get a little lofty, but it's, it's important, right? God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has eternally existed in love. The Father has eternally existed to love the Son. And the Son has eternally existed to respond, to submit, and love his Father. And the Spirit has eternally existed to encourage and support that very love. And you may be saying, Nick, that's beautiful philosophical reflection about the nature of God. Where do you see that in the text? I'm glad you asked. I'm really glad you asked this morning. Jesus, right before he goes to the cross, will give this great insight 
into this reality. John 17, verse 24, this is what he prays for you and for me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the earth. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God never changed. God didn't add some attributes to his character in order to solve that problem. He simply continues to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you're sitting here and and, and that's like, okay, cool, I don't understand why that's important. This is important because it's foundational to the nature of God's actions. This is This is the makeup of God and why he chooses to act the way that he does. How many know we don't have to be confused about this? That's a lie of the enemy. Because God is eternal and exists to love, first within the context of the Trinity and then from that place, the entire world, he doesn't change. Okay, this is the insight. This is the key insight. God does not love because we're always lovable. How many of you are like, amen? (laughs) God loves because it is who he is. It's important because it grounds our acceptance, it grounds our identity in this loving God who has always existed to be who he is. The good news this morning for you, for me, for Chicago, for the world, is that this God is not loving us based off of our performance, based off of what we can bring to the table, based off of any of that. He loves because he is love. And we don't have to worry. We can receive as free recipients of that love and not have a question in our mind whether he will ever revoke it. This is foundational to walking with God. This is foundational to being a disciple. God loves the world. God gives the most pure form of love that he can. He gives us himself. And this leads us, you know, um, you know, I, I I wanna say this. Knowledge of God's love for you and for me is is really the answer here to all of our issues. We don't need answers, we need him. The most profound difficulties that plague my life, that plague your life, God answers with love. And he wants to answer with love. We're gonna see later in this text that there's a responsibility that we all have, but... Right, that's, that's, his, that's, that's his aim here. His motivation is to love. And so this leads us to our second truth, the why behind this. What's his intention in loving? Right, because the father gives us the gift of his son and we have to ask the question, why does he do that? God wants to bring us into eternal life. 
through this gift of love. And here I want to pause and highlight what the text does not say. That, who, that he gave his only son, the father, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you see that dichotomy there? The two options that are given? The text does not say that whoever believes in him will not go to hell but go to heaven. Instead, there's two options. It's either perishing or eternal life. And the only reason I say that is because in our context, that has been oftentimes a salvation message. Is that, right, you ask somebody, what's the gospel? Oh, well, Jesus died to me so I can go to heaven. That's not actually the intention of the love of God. So we have to actually ask, what is he saying here? What is perishing and what does it mean to have eternal life? So where do we see perishing come into the, the, the story, the framework of the Bible? The garden, right? Jesus is addressing a sin issue here. He's addressing corruption here. He's addressing the fundamental um, 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 break in the universe that resulted from Adam and Eve going against God's perfect will. And that in that moment, there was a perishing that took place. There was a perishing because you and I were created to know and love this God, right? What happens in the garden? Once that takes place, they are, ha they, they are caused to, to leave. They have to be removed from that place of intimate presence with God. So what is Jesus's antidote? He says it right here, eternal life. Why does this matter that, that he uses this language? Well, I'm gonna let him define what eternal life is rather than me try to define it. If you turn to John 17, verse three, he actually defines it himself. Do we have that up there? And this, isn't that so, it's, it's like me and Jesus are tag teaming eternal life right now. <laughs> this is what he says. This is eternal life, that they know you. Who is you? His father. The one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And now we begin to see the depth that this love is beginning to open to us. The believing believer gets brought into a knowledge of God that isn't available to the world. Jesus did not go to the cross so we could go to heaven. That is part of it, don't get me wrong. But Jesus went to the cross so that we would be reconciled to this loving father who has always existed in love, who's loving right now today, and who will exist for eternity to love. There is a personal, relational 
knowledge that you and I, regardless of your pedigree, get to enter into. And it's based solely on the merits of his son. This is good news. This knowing God is the deep fellowship of the God of the Bible that has been made accessible to you and I in every area or space of our life. I love how Dallas Willard touches on this idea in his book, Renovation of the Heart. This is what he says. Knowledge in the biblical language never refers to what we call today head knowledge, but always to experiential involvement with what is known to actual engagement. Thus, when Jesus defines eternal life that he gives to his people, he is speaking of the grace of constant, close interaction with the Trinitarian being of God that Jesus brings into the lives of those who seek and find him. You were made to love and know God. Heaven on earth, heaven in Chicago, is when you and I live in this love in our homes, throughout our neighborhoods, in our jobs, on the CTA, in our favorite restaurants, our most coveted coffee shops. Because what does this love do? This love restores us to our intention, to our created intention. Every single one of us, we are designed to live in this love. So if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, yeah, that sounds great. I just don't know if that's possible for me. You were actually designed for this. Now, the other key element of this that I want to point out to us is that there is a qualifier here. What does it say? That whoever believes. This is not aimless or unfocused belief, but this is belief in him, in his words, in what he says. It means that there's a personal responsibility that you and I have to the word of God. And, the, and, and that each and every one of us this morning, as you hear this message of the Father's love being given to you, you have a responsibility to respond and believe. So what does that mean to believe? Believing, and I love this about our church because we give great attention to this. Believing is not necessarily a raising of the hand or a praying of a prayer as often has been the case in our context, that's how it's described, right? Those are actions of faith that could stem from belief, but that's not belief. What Jesus describes as belief is the yielding of our lives, the yielding of a, of a soul, a mind, a heart, a body, a family, a yielding, a yieldedness of a person to the person of God. 
This is the fully invested response of the person who hears the word of the Father's love and says, yes. Lastly, I want to talk about the Father's perspective in love, and then we'll be done. So what do we have so far? We have the Father's motivation. We have the Father's intention. What is, he, what is his aim in loving us? And now we see that his, we, get to, we get to zoom out a little bit and see his perspective. If you want to know the way that God views the world, our text answers it right now. You know, Jesus was the Father's ambassador. Jesus communicated to the earth that he came to reveal his Father. And what I love about Jesus, you know, he is the image of the invisible God. God did not send a condemning ambassador into the world. You know, because condemned people, they know that they're condemned. Condemned people don't need the church condemning them. The world, right, like, I, I, and I can just speak from my own experience, so please forgive me there. Like, I, I remember being so lost and being so broken and so hurt inside and when I walked into a church, the message that I received was that there was a God who loved me. And that ruined me. It ruined me because I knew that there was nothing, right? I intuitively understand there was nothing about me that was lovable. And it was a gift. It was this free, and it was like, what? And this is the, this is the paradox. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of God's perspective to the world is that like, right, like Chicago, for example, right, and progressive cities in America, we are dealing with so much. We're, see, we're dealing with real life issues. We're dealing with violence. We're dealing with racism. We're dealing with underfunded schools. We're dealing with, like the list goes on, religiosity and greed and corruption, whatever you wanna say, whatever you wanna add to the list. God's perspective to Chicago is not how dare you. It's not. Would he be justified in that? Yeah. But this is, this is the beautiful message of the Father's love is that that's actually not his perspective. The Father's word is not one of condemnation over any person that is stuck in one of those things or even leading those things. But it's one of love. And it's love that when truly received transforms people at the very core of their being. This is the father. The father isn't intimidated by the darkness of Chicago. What does Jesus say? Even darkness is not dark to you. He's the light of the world. And that, right, that is, that is the message, right, is that like, sure, the world is dark and the world loves darkness, but the light has come. The light has come. And my challenge to us this morning, this Advent season, as we are sitting in this anticipation mode, is that the light is here. The light is in you. Heaven 
in Chicago looks like our awareness, our coming to the understanding that the light has now shined upon us and inside of us, and now we are those agents that are the light of the world. And, and I just want to circle back to my comments earlier that God is still in the business of saving people. And there are a lot of people who want to be saved. In fact, I'm believing that like this facade of like progress and like we're just charging on and we're, we're getting better and we're advancing, like people are fed up. The proof, as the kids say, the proof is in the pudding. And the proof, the pudding of progressive modernity is leaving people angst-ridden frustrated and not having substantial answers to the way that life is. And it doesn't mean that the church holds up the gospel as, as like in a self-righteous way. It's just that we come humbly and we say, open arms, the Father's love, the Father's love. And so I'm gonna, I wanna close this morning um, by going back to that responsibility that you and I have, that responsibility for every single person who hears the word of the Father's great love to respond. And that responsibility is to believe that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Um, Believing is a yielded heart. It's a yielded life. It's a yielded soul before the person of God in light of his character, in light of what he's done. It's our yes. It's our response. And so I wanna invite us this morning and call us again as a church to believe, to believing the gospel once again. I wanna call us to respond to our loving Father. The band is gonna lead us in a song and I, and I just want us to take some time to engage, right? I wanna take, a, I want us to take some time to engage that the Father's response to our alienation, the Father's response to our rebellion, the Father's response to our idiosyncrasies and our, and our little issues that consume so much of our mind and so much of our life, the Father's response to our own inadequacy, the Father's response to our own self-hatred and our self-loathing and all sorts of stuff that we go through, the Father's response is, I love you and I want you. That's his response this morning. And so the response of us, right? What does 1 John say? We love because he first loved us. And so we're just not gonna get it twisted this morning. We're just like, like let's just sit under the Father's approval. Let's sit under his yes. Let's sit under his, I choose you this morning. Even if you don't choose yourself, the word of the Lord is that he chooses you. It's an open invitation. Will we respond in belief?